I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gunna Geek Show. I am Stephen, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. I'm just here for the lols. He is here for the lols, which will be brought to you today by the letter S and P. If that was an introduction to me, we need to redo my contract again. <laughs> what? It's the letter S and P. It's two letters. You get the two for one. You said his lulls were brought to you by the letters S and P. That is not me. That is the letters S oh, and P. But you are going to provide said lulls. I think Chris is going to provide the lulls. If I'm the one that has to provide the laughs, we're really screwed because mm. I'm not the funny one. I think we've been screwed for years, guys. That's true. N- nobody ever said they came to the Gunda Geek show for laughs. Unless they were watching the video side of things. Then they laughed at our faces. I mean, yeah, I'd laugh at this, too. I mean, they might have come for lulls, but I definitely not laughs. Mm. That's true. Mm. All right. Well, let's go ahead and lull into some news. Let's kick it all off today with some Apple news. We've said it before, and we'll probably say it about a billion more times between now and the end of this show. Uh, Mondays are the days that we record this show of the official Gonna Geek show. You can find us live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern time over at www.geeks.live. And we always talk about how crappy of a day it is to record because often... There are tech events that come on the Tuesday, and that's what happened last week because there was a previously announced Apple event last Tuesday, and they announced a bunch of things. So let's just go ahead here and run down some of the things that they ended up covering. Uh, Let's start off with the iPad Pro. New iPod Pro coming on out with the M1 chip. Unsurprisingly, you also had an iMac also with an M1 chip, but if you've ever said to yourself, Steven, I really want an iMac, but the silver, it's just not for me. Well, you're in luck because it is now available in the blue, in the green, in the pink, in the silver, in the yellow, orange, and purple too. And Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat or some song like that. Uh, Anyways, uh, yes, they are going back to the roots of a bunch of different colors for the iMac. You also got more colors in the way of the iPhone. They are now releasing partway through the cycle. Uh, iPhone 12 and iPhone 12 mini coming in purple. And you had Apple podcast announcement where they're getting in on the subscription game. So you're going to see a bit of a shakeup in the Apple podcast side of things. If you use Apple podcasts on your Apple device. Yeah, you can check out the better podcasting live chat number 30. If you want to hear SP and I muse a little bit about that. And one of the most exciting ones that I was excited to hear about was the AirTag tracking. These are starting at $29. They are trackers for individual devices. 
If you've ever seen little trackers before, you'll know this is not a new concept. Having a tracker that is smart, that if you lose something, it will be trackable. And not only that, if you lose it, using all of the different devices and things that are out there who have enabled this feature, they can possibly find it. So if somebody's walking by your device and it, and it signals that it's in loss mode, it will report back to you that it was lost. Now, that's not a new concept either. Lots of track trackers have had that. But what I really thought about this was that it's about time that someone came in and said the current offerings of trackers is not good enough because Apple has gone and outdone the other trackers. They are offering very precision finding features in there. So when you do lose something and it says you have lost it at 4th and 32nd Street, you can go there and not walk around a huge, large area trying to find it. No, it will actually tell you, go this direction this far. It's it's a lot more precise than a lot of the Bluetooth trackers that are out there. And so I got to say, way to go, Apple, on this. I think this is a thing that this this market has been around for a while, but has has become very stagnant with what has been developed going forward. They're just basically dealing with ranges at this point, and Apple's coming in to try to shake that up. And those were the main things before. I think we'll talk about another one in a minute there. But let's let's start with that bucket of Apple releases there. What do you guys think about that from the iPad Pro right through to the Air Tracker before we get to the last thing I want to mention? Let's start with you, Chris. iPad Pro with an M1 chip in it. Okay, it's, it's great. It doesn't You're kind of just fracturing the use between people who would buy a laptop with the M1 or an iPad with the M1. Okay, that's all well and good. I, I don't have any use case for it. I already have a laptop with an M1 chip in it. I'm sure... People are using an iPad for Pro reasons can spin a reason why it might be helpful. Maybe it makes it so you can do Final Cut Pro or iMovie on there more efficiently than on the A, what are we up to, 14 or 16X chip that's in there. I do want to say this. I was kind of excited to see how they would refresh the iMac. And then I saw the refresh of the iMac and I went, oh, this is lazy. It's We made them different colors. We made them thinner because... Your desktop needs to be super thin. And we left the bezels and the giant chin around the screen. Yeah. At the bottom of the screen. Why? Why? Because they probably needed the physical space for the electronics. But but here's the thing. There's better ways to do it. And I'm going to sound like a Microsoft shill here. Let (laughs) me sound like. Have you seen the Surface Studio display that they have with the PC parts? Uh, Yes, I definitely did. Spelled Microsoft (laughs) Surface Studio as I Google it. So for those who aren't aware, the Surface Studio is something like a 30-inch display that's mm. on like a, an arm. And at the base of the arm is all of the PC components. And it's okay. a touchscreen and all of that. So they basically made a giant display that's near bezel-less that you can move up and down. You can put almost flat on the table to do drawing or CAD work and things like that. And that is what you expect out of these cool these cool displays that are really tiny that just hang off of a PC box at the bottom or something like that. I don't know what Mac is doing here. They're just kind of sticking to, well, this looks like what the old iMac looked like. And now we don't have to figure out a better way to engineer it. We just make it thinner and jam everything in roughly the same places. I don't care for it. I don't really care about the colors on it. That's great. Maybe that's someone's cup of tea. I don't really want a yellow computer or mm-hmm. a blue computer, any of that stuff. I didn't want them back in the day when they were doing that on the old iMac, back <laughs> when they were the plastic ones. I always said, if I'm getting a computer, it's either going to be 
in this case, the silver color or the black color. That's what I want. I'm just really disappointed that the iMac feels like such a lazy evolution. You didn't go out me. and buy an e-machines back when their original I- <laughs> iMacs were out? I mean, you're not wrong on that either. It's just a- Apple has in the past always pushed the envelope on design and things like that. Like the the Apple Cube back yeah. in the day. That was the Cube cooled professional PC. It was super weird, but it was different. And we don't see this different but cool stuff anymore. Like the Apple Pro that was in that tube that was interesting, but it wasn't practical. I want to see them go back to making cool, weird crap again, for lack of a better thing. And I agree with what Suncast is saying in the chat room right now. Out of all of these events we've had lately, they've been kind of underwhelming. And he says the M1 MacBook is the most exciting thing to happen to Apple in the last mm-hmm. three to five years. He's right. Apple pivoting to their own silicon and it being good. That is the key. That is what's so exciting about what they're doing right now. I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that pretty much all of the desktops are moving over to the M1 processor or some variant of it, but I, do something different with them. So I agree. I'm surprised how, how little they did with it. But as you sit here and you complain and say all the things that I was thinking, it occurs to me that they they have though really branded that design, and I'm not just talking with like we know customers know this because they see it and they're Mac they're Apple fans and they like that. No, we're, we literally have seen them pay stupid amounts of money to get this weirdly inserted into a TV show, right? Like like they have spent a lot of time trying to get this thing in front of eyes all over the place. So I I could see them sticking with this design quite a bit longer. Only for the good guys to have, though. That's one of the things we found <laughs> out true. in Knives Out. Ryan Johnson said on the press tour, yep. if it's someone is a bad guy, they're not allowed to have an Apple product based off the way Apple does things. That's true. So It's, it's hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the iMac there, SP? Are you keeping abreast of the situation with them? Yeah, I've heard of the iMacs, and I saw the announcement of the different colors, and it really just didn't do anything for me what this will do something for is maybe a scholastic environment where you have kids that like shiny colorful things and that sort of thing and uh, to be honest Macs have always catered more towards the artistic side of things so you put it in a school where you're supposed to be creative i think that's pretty cool the thing that really got me out of this announcement was the ipad pro I think we've talked about it before on the podcast that I am interested in moving up to an iPad Pro. I've got Mm. an iPad mini fourth generation right now. Uh, Allegedly, the sixth generation is coming up. The iPad mini four is getting a little long in the tooth. So I would like to go to a bigger screen. I would like specifically now with that M1 chip brings a lot of computing horsepower to the iPad Pro. And even though... It's more like a laptop when you think of it in those terms. I will be using it as a tablet and to have that chip in a tablet. Oh, my gosh. The things that I can possibly do for podcast or video creation on it are pretty cool. Now, to be honest with you, I just want to use it for a bigger iPad, but I have a sense that I'm going to have it for a few years, three or four years and have something that I could do more with eventually. I think would be great. So I am definitely looking at this iPad Pro and and uh shh, my mom is here right now in the house. Mother's Day is coming up. She needs a new iPad. 
Good luck finding one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to say uh, two things. I just want to quickly bounce off what you just said. Um, with the iPad Pro, I think this finally answers the question of of the confusion of last year when they brought the uh, the revisions into the iPad Air. And where we were kind of talked about on the show, we were like, oh, what's the divide here between the Pro and the Air? Like there were, there was a lot of blurred lines. And, and now we see what they've done is they go, okay, the Pro is going to have the M1 chip in it. So that makes a lot of sense now what they've done with that. As for the colors, I, I feel like I'm coming to Apple's defense here. I, I totally disagree with the whole Scholastic comment that you made. I actually think we have, on the consumer cycle, gone back in the circle to consumers just general at home wanting style and flavor in their electronics. And, and I think that this is going to this is going to appeal to a lot of iMac users that may have may have thought I I'll see what comes out. Maybe I'll upgrade. Maybe I'll wait another generation. I think this will buy a lot of them into to actually upgrading based off the colors alone. It's going to look real cool on a lot of YouTubers sets, basically, is what it's going to come down to. Because I don't think, they'll make sure they're seen. I don't think anything that Apple has in its inventory, to me, is worth upgrading unless it's like three or four years into the future. Because the stuff that they make now is very versatile for a few years. Now, the M1 chip was revolutionary. Yeah. I will grant you that. But if you have something that's a couple years old, like my youngest daughter, we bought her an iMac. Uh, Air or uh, uh, MacBook Air before she went off to school. And I think she's fine with that. Of course, she's not doing anything that's heavy computational. She's a nursing student. So I think she's fine with that. But if a couple years goes by and she needs another one, yeah, get the M1, M2, M3, whatever the chip is going to be in a couple years. And it's going to be uh, a leapfrog above that. Yeah. And guys, I, I rode that iPhone 8 Plus into the ground basically <laughs> yeah, for me before I, I went with this. Well, my dad is also in the house right now. He now has that phone because it compared with his Apple Watch 6. So mm. it is still in use today. It is still being used. The last thing that I think we got to give a shout out to right now, it's finally here. It's a while overdue, but yes, the Apple TV 4K has been announced, a new version. So if you've been waiting for a new Apple TV to come out with upgraded chipset and most importantly, a redesigned remote, which I think they've made the improvements. Time will tell once the masses get their hands on it. But the remote was one of the biggest downsides, the biggest uh, downfalls, I should say, of the last generation, th they have acknowledged it basically by redesigning it. So it's similar but different, and it looks like it's going to solve the problem. Times will tell. Uh, Chris Farrell, I know that you hated that remote. Oh, I've no. I used it for like a day when I got my Apple TV, and the charge is dead on it. And it's sitting on a shelf somewhere, and I'm using my Logitech Harmony, which I won't be able to use forever at this point in time to control all that stuff. But the nice thing with this new remote for the uh, Apple TV is that from what I have read, and admittedly it wasn't much because I haven't followed a ton of the Apple event, it is backwards compatible with this current gen of Apple TV. So you could theoretically decide to drop what is 50 bucks they're probably going to charge for it to use that remote with your current Apple TV. Now the trade-off is I think they said there's no accelerometer in the new remotes. So if you were using it for motion gaming or something like that through Apple Arcade, then you're kind of SOL there, but I wasn't using Apple Arcade. <laughs> So I don't really care. And when my Logitech Harmonies bite the dust, it might be time to replace the original 
remote with one of these new ones. That's the most exciting thing about it. I don't really care about the refresh specs no. or anything. It still plays TV how I want it to, and I think it does a new HDR codec. That's really the main difference. Yeah, I, I couldn't find the selling feature um, in the equipment myself when I was looking at this compared to the, the previous uh, Apple TV. Because they, they called it Apple TV 4K, the previous version, didn't they? Well, there were two... The last generation had Apple TV and Apple TV 4K that came out. Yeah. And then they both looked the same. It's just the difference was minor spec-wise and the fact that the 4K ones put out a 4K picture. And right. there were two storage tiers for it. And then this one is is the new version, which is just also called the Apple TV 4K. Yeah, they're probably just going to end a life, the old ones. Yeah. You won't find them on shelves anymore. They'll get closed out and get replaced with these ones. So... If you're looking to get an Apple TV, now's the time to look because they're probably going to start clearing them out, sort of. We never really see great discounts, though, for Apple TVs. So, And in our chat, Suncast mentions it's now capable of HDR and 60 FPS. And we know what Chris's experience has been trying to get those on streaming services. <laughs> well, I mean, if you can download games to it and do it. So from a gaming perspective, being able to do HDR at 60 frames per second is pretty cool on something like that. SP, I mean, the Shield does it too. That's true. SP, you've been kind of quiet here. What's your thoughts on the Apple TV 4K refresh? I'm glad it's here so people can buy it. Moving on with the next news point here. Uh, looks like CD Projekt has refunded people. Right. So a while back, we talked about CD Projekt Red and the game Cyberpunk 2077 that had come out. There were a lot of expectations on it. A lot of people, including myself, were very hyped up for it. I did buy it, play it at launch, and I'll be honest, I haven't really picked it up since I beat the game. I'm waiting for some more bug fixes and DLC to drop. But it was very glitchy and buggy. And I think I, think I talked about it on this show that if you were playing on an original Xbox One or a PS4 baseline model, there were a lot of problems with the game. So many problems, in fact, that at one point in time, and to this day, it still is in effect, Sony delisted it from the PlayStation online store. So you can't buy digital copies direct through Sony. When this was all going on, CD Projekt Red had made a point of saying, hey, we're going to try and make this right. You can return the games. And if the retailer through which you purchase the game will not accept your return, we're putting up an online portal. And through this online portal, you'll be able to return the game through us because some people had bought digital copies and there were no refunds given. I think Microsoft changed their policies and so did Sony for a short time in regards to this game. So when this came out, a lot of people went, oh, I wonder how many refunds they're actually going to give out. And we did find out during uh, CD Projekt Red was doing some of their typical end of quarter or not in quarter, but updates on financials and things like that. And uh, CFO Peter. Ne Nebel oh, wow, I'm going to screw this up. Nelubowitz, excuse me. I'm I don't so speak. glad you're trying to say it. <laughs> Nelubowitz, I wow. think is what it is. Shared details on the situation on earnings calls with investors where they said CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077 has sold 13.7 million copies. That's a respectable number. The developer only issued 30,000 refunds through their online portal, which is interesting considering how troubled the game was. Now, the catch here, that's the refunds that they issued. This does not account for the fact that Sony issued refunds, that the Microsoft online store issued refunds, that if people took a game back to, say, Walmart or Target or GameStop within a certain amount of time, 
they could have theoretically gotten a refund. It is interesting, though, that that number is that small because based off the outcry there was around this game, I expected more. The game isn't bad. It, it's it's not what they promised it to be, for lack of a better term, and there's some really dumb bugs in there, and they've been patching out a lot of those bugs, and by all accounts, they're about ready to start working on the free DLC. So I'm intrigued, and what was really interesting as we went through this earnings call is CD Projekt Red got hacked to deal with hackers that delayed the release of some of these patches. The company was profitable in 2020, taking in over $560 million in revenue. So despite all the trouble, despite the problematic release of this game and it getting critically panned and arguably so for some of the issues they had, they made a boatload of money. I just thought it was really interesting. I wanted to bring up that the refunds and the returns were not nearly as many as people were predicting. So I don't know if that just means we had a very vocal group that was angry that they had to tweet and Reddit post a ton and the rest of the people were just like, eh, it didn't live up to what I wanted. Oh, well. Yeah, you know, when I first started reading this article, I had thought to myself, oh, that, that seemed like quite a bit. And then I started to think about it. And I was like, no, no, that's less. And I was realizing that why my mind went to the fact that thinking that it was a lot was because of the hoopla that had been made or the hubbub, whatever you prefer, <laughs> uh, about this when it was all happening. And, and I think you're right. I think this is a huge example of I'll just say gamers bitching and not actually following through because I've talked about it on the show a few times before that I'm of the opinion that the general gamer crowd will complain. They will push companies into making a decision and then they won't follow through. And and it doesn't matter. They will at the in the end do whatever it takes. And and so I, I think this is another example of just of gamers making noise. I don't know. Sorry. Now, I, I, sa- I said something that I might have to censor myself. We'll see how I feel in editing. <laughs> I think that is entirely... I mean, when this came out, what time of year was it when this all happened, Chris? I think it finally came out in November when it was all said and November done after 2020? multiple delays. Yeah, November, November 2020. Okay, right in the heart of the end of all the shutdowns and everything. So... People really didn't have anything else to do but complain about stuff. They might want to think about that contributing to the factor as well. I mean, this game, it is fair to say that it is not what was promised and was troublesome. I just Mm -hmm. think there's a lot more folks that were like, eh, I'll wait it out and see what comes down the line. And the people that were so angry had their opportunity, could have gotten their money back and Seems like the company still made money, so hopefully they continue to push out the free DLC they had planned at least before then deciding what they want to do in this world. Because whether you liked the game, the promise is there for it to be a really cool, in-depth, engrossing world. The world they built is really fun. It's just the gameplay wasn't always what you expected it to be based off how they off excuse me, based off of how they had hyped it. Well, I look forward to you demanding your refund many months later. Yes, that sounds like something rational that I, I would do. I don't know. I just thought it might be, make a good segment on this show. Will you walk us through your demanding of refunds so that they can go up to 30,001 refunds? So you want me to be the male version of a Karen? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, mm. <laughs> moving on to the next news point here. What? There's mo- Moxygen? Mars Oxygen? Yeah, 
NASA's been really cute about all the stuff that Percy has been doing. And Percy's the newest rover, which we covered that launched a last year and ended up on Mars in February. And Perseverance is the rover we call her Percy has been just steadily racking up just huge milestones. And the latest was actually creating oxygen on Mars. There's a lot of reasons why, and there's really pretty cool how they did it. So let's just talk about it, right? The growing list of firsts for Perseverance, NASA's newest six-wheeled robot on the Martian service, includes converting some of the red planet's thin carbon dioxide-rich atmosphere into oxygen. A toaster-sized experiment instrument aboard Percy called the Mars Oxygen In-Situ Resource Utilization Experiment, also known as MOXIE, M-O-X-I-E, accomplished the task. The test took place on April 20th, which was the 60th Martian Day, or SOL, as they call it for those that watch The Martian, since the mission landed February 18th. MOXIE is an exploration technology investigation and is sponsored by NASA's Space Technology Mission Directorate, STMU, or STMD, excuse me, and Human Exploration of Operations Missions Directorate. In this first operation, MOXIE's oxygen production was quite modest, about 5 grams, which is equivalent to about 10 minutes worth of breathable oxygen for an astronaut. Moxie is designed to generate up to 10 grams of oxygen per hour, so basically two astronauts worth every hour. Mars' atmosphere is 96% carbon dioxide, and Moxie works by separating the oxygen atoms from carbon dioxide molecules, which are made up of one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms. A waste product called carbon monoxide, for those that are aware of carbon monoxide poisoning, there it is, carbon monoxide, is emitted into the Martian atmosphere. The conversion process requires high levels of heat to reach a temperature of approximately 1,470 degrees Fahrenheit or about 800 degrees Celsius for you living in Canada. It doesn't matter. It's still very hot. To accommodate this, the MOXIE unit is made with heat-tolerant materials. These include 3D-printed nickel alloy parts, which heat and cool the gases flowing through it, and a lightweight aerogel that helps hold the heat. A thin gold coating on the outside of MOXIE reflects infrared heat, keeping it from radiating outward and potentially damaging other parts of Percy. So guys, we made oxygen on Mars. We have our oxygen generator, which was referred to in the Martian, and we're ready to go now to produce oxygen for more, more people on Mars. Now, I would think you'd want to scale up this production capability for more people on Mars, but this could, if you use it, could last a person twice as long as it actually works. So what SP's saying here is they scienced the S out of it on Mars right now. Did indeed. Now, interestingly enough, reading into MOXIE, they can make oxygen not only from the atmosphere, but from regolith which is the rocks and stuff that you just pick up from the ground. Now, they haven't done that yet. Apparently, the oxygen that they created was from the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But I think, you know, you can make it from rocks. You can make it from the air. Maybe you can make it from water when you get that. You know, it's going to be fun on Mars. So this is all leading up to making it so that somebody could actually live 
on Mars. Maybe not on the surface, but live on Mars. I have to say, I got a little lost as you were going through this, because when you started to talk about Moxie's oxygen production, you mentioned that it was about five grams equivalent to 10 minutes. And I just can't understand what five grams is. You didn't relate it to anything. And I, I, I've been trying to figure out what is five grams in relation to like a, a Cybertruck. I, I don't know. So five grams is equivalent. Did you watch The Mandalorian? Yes. So the little ball that baby Yoda or Grogu, depending mm-hmm. on how you want to view it, that he keeps on wanting to play with on the Razor Crest, that's five grams. But what about in relation to a Cybertruck? Well, it's probably the same amount as the turn signal on <laughs> the Cybertruck. It weighs the turn signal stock. All right, perfect. Uh, thank you. Uh, no, this is cool. I really like this, and uh, I really like the advances that we are seeing on the Martian surface. Well, let's go on and move on to guacamole. That's mm-hmm. right. There's Google Guac. If you didn't know this, Google is getting into the guacamole game. Uh, does it, it come with chips? It does. If you didn't know this, Google has gotten out of all their other endeavors, and they are now exclusively selling guacamole. No, that's not true. Uh, there was an odd feature that showed up in Wait the... Wait a minute. Is it made in New York? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Uh, an odd feature showed up in the Google app for some users this past weekend called, quote, guacamole. SP, if you are thinking that this is just just your time now to switch to Android because you're finally, finally able to get that long-standing request taken care of to be able to activate your voice assistant by saying the keyword guacamole, well... Stick with your iPhone because that's not what this does. Guacamole. Oh, that's good because I know a lot of people's safe word is guacamole. So if they start saying guacamole, then their assistant would start coming up. Uh, that's a lot of syllables for a safe word. You know what? If you can't get it out, apparently it's you don't need to be uh, be saved. That's what it there's is. Sometimes no, I imagine no it'd be difficult to talk in some of those situations. So why would you want that many syllables? I don't know. I have to ask someone like SP. I mean, see, it's not very easy to do. You wanted the lols. I'm bringing the lols. I, I, think, I think you have a little practice doing that. How would you think? It's, it's still lost. Souls. I think we killed Steven. Steven, do you need to yell guacamole? I'll stop. All right. If you, so, can't, guacamole. If you can't yell guacamole, yell Armageddon. <laughs> Google guacamole. This not even better. <laughs> guacamole is a, a feature that showed up for some Android users this past weekend. And what it is, is it basically allows you to disable certain things by just responding to your phone if you enable guacamole. Specifically at this time, it's allowing you to stop alarms or timers simply by saying stop. As well, you can answer calls or decline calls just by saying answer call or decline call. This is without having to do what you would say right now, which is the trigger word of hey G, which you need to put the Google in there. So if you if you in are one of the people who have this on there, you can enable guacamole mode and answer these limited functions by simply responding. Apparently makes it a little bit easier. Now, if this sounds like this is familiar, that might be because this has been on many 
many uh, Google smart devices for a little while, including smart speakers and smart displays on the English models. So you've been able to enable something like this on those. Now, as per usual, Google format, uh, they didn't say how exactly, or uh, I'm lost here because of what you did earlier, Chris, but they did not say how, who got this update. And we, it's a mystery. We, we don't know who's <laughs> trying this out, who they've rolled this out as, who their target trial base is, but just know it is probably people who have safe words as guacamole. From what I had read, this was something that they're testing internally that someone screwed up and configured it so that it would show up in people's beta versions of the next version of Android. Mm. And when they tried to go and configure it, it redirected them to what is basically the address of an internal Google server. So they couldn't actually configure Guacamole to do anything on their Android phones. Oh. They, could, they could sort of look at the code and the help screens there to figure out what it was supposed to do. So unless you work for Google, you're probably not getting the full-blown guacamole experience. Like Steven mentioned, if you have the digital assistants and stuff, you sort of get it on a limited extent when it comes to canceling and stopping timers. But that that's about it right now. So what you're saying is it did nothing like trying to use the safe word guacamole when you've only got one breath left. Correct. So let's say in our hypothetical situation here, Steven had seen the guacamole settings turn on on his phone. When he tried to configure it, it would have brought up a website that he couldn't load because it's internal to the Google network. And you just would have been SLL at that point in time. And it would have timed out and you could turn it on and nothing would happen. I regret doing this news story. Uh, SP, is there anything you want to talk about before we go on to a 20 year late fee? (laughs) Yes. Uh, is this guacamole served hot or cold? Well, I mean, if you're having it as chips and dip, I presume it to be a cold guac. I mean, but if you're having it with food, it might be warmed if like you put it on a burrito or something. You know what? I, I have to say, everyone gets the rocks off in their own way. It could be hot or cold. Guys, we're just talking about food. Calm down. here. Everyone likes chips and dip. 20 year late fee, Chris. What's up with that? <laughs> so this was an interesting story that I wanted to bring up when I happened upon it. I think it was on Gizmodo is where I saw the story. But let, let's travel back in time. And I think most of the people in this chat room are probably old enough to remember the days of going to Blockbuster Video or Hollywood Video where they'd always remind you, if you don't return this in three to five days, whatever the, the period was, we're going to start charging you late fees. And eventually you'll just have to replace the video. And if we can't find you to do that, we will pursue you through court actions, things like that. This is something that actually used to happen, folks. If you don't remember the VHS days, yeah, you would rent a tape and then you'd be on the hook to make sure that A, you were kind and rewound because they'd charge you a fee for that and B, that you returned it on time. Otherwise, the late fees would become ridiculous and potentially they'd get the police involved. Now, it was pretty interesting. One of the things that Blockbuster did in the early 2000s was get rid of late fees for a while. But sadly, the person we're talking about here did not rent from a Blockbuster video. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this story. In 1999, an Oklahoma woman rented a VHS tape of the then-hit sitcom Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Let's fast forward two decades later. That VHS rental has come back to haunt her after it was failed to be returned and ended up branding her record with a felony embezzlement charge. Yeah, they're not joking around when it comes to stealing tapes. 
So wow. Carol McBride is the woman in question. She lives in Texas now. She first learned about these charges after heading to a local DMV to change her name and her driver's license after getting married. She explained to KOKH, a local Fox News affiliate, that the DMV alerted her about an issue she had in her home state. Charges accusing her of felony embezzlement of rented property back in the year 2000. She would go on to later tell the station that she had no clue what they were talking about. She didn't remember renting the tape whatsoever. Uh, KOKH did get court records that showed the VHS tape was rented at a video rental spot in Norman, Oklahoma that has been shut down since 2008. At the time, prosecutors claimed that she, quote, willfully, unlawfully, and feloniously embezzled the tape and that she didn't return the VHS after the 10-day deadline that was in her rental agreement. According to the docket, the tape was at that time worth $60. Yeah, guys, VHS tapes were expensive back in the day. Uh, so back in 2000, I don't think the VHS tape was actually $60, but I think they had to buy a special uh, commercial version of the tape. Yes. So the you license probably, associated with it too when purchasing. Right. So, so if you would have bought the same movie, it wouldn't have been sixty dollars. It might have been thirty dollars, but it wasn't going to be sixty dollars. If it was commercially available, because it may not have been. And who would dispute sixty dollars for Sabrina the Teenage Witch? It's a fine, fine piece of television history. Yeah. Melissa Joan Hart actually commented on this in social media, which was kind of funny. I don't remember what she said, but <laughs> here's where this story gets even more fun: the cruel twist of fate. McBride probably didn't even rent the, wasn't even the person that rented the video, it turns out. She explained to KOKH that the likely culprit was a man she was living with at the time and his two daughters checked it out and rented it under her account. The really funny thing here is how this turns into felonious embezzlement. There, there is good news, though. We had our laughs as we're going, what the hell is going on with this? Now, this woman, arguably living a life of WTF, what, what does this mean? What does this mean for me that this tape never got turned in? There's felony charges on me. Well, there is a happy ending. The court where McBride's case was was initially filed was ordered to drop the charges and expunge her record as of last Friday. So her record is in the clear for a tape that she never rented that, you know, instead of just coming after her for 60 bucks, they filed felonious embezzlement charges. There's a lot of laughs here, but I read the full story and I read the story before this ending came apparent, by the way. And she was wondering how many jobs, because she was working like two or three yep. jobs mm -hmm. at the time. How many jobs was I turned away from yep. because there was a possible felony on my record? I mean, she's like, oh my gosh, this is so uh, affecting of not only my life, but anybody else who's been in this situation. And at the time that I read this story, like multiple lawyers wouldn't even take the case for her. So I'm glad that she got this fixed because... This is just outrageous. And I'm just wondering how many other people out there are like this, especially with VHS rental things. We just had our last thing closed just a few months ago here. It was a family dollar or a family video. That's what the store was called here. They also sold other things, but the family video store just closed finally. And I can't imagine being taken to court over a DVD or a VHS tape in, in this day and age in 2021. Yeah. That's outrageous. I'm so glad she got this fixed. I hope it establishes a precedent for other people that would be impacted in a similar manner. Suncast is asking, how was she not informed in the chat room? From what I recall and the couple different articles I read on this is that they were sending these notifications to an old address that she hadn't lived to lived at in years. So basically all it was is charges were filed and she didn't find out until someone ran her stuff and said, hey, 
there's this charge on you on you and went, wait, what the hell's happening here? So she didn't know. And the scary thing, like SP said, is what employment opportunities or things like that did she potentially miss out on because she had a felony charge for something that, you know, she didn't do and wasn't even aware of to try and clear up that potentially could have been 20 years of different jobs that could have changed the way her life's been lived. Yeah, it's crazy actually to think back to the mindset that was the rental business back then. And and like this does thinking of it through through the the lenses of 2021, th- this seems absurd. But when you think back to how it was back then, it was not absurd for rental companies to to go to extreme lengths over 60 bucks. Well, I mean, that's part of why they did it. That put the fear of God in people that if you took their tape or you didn't return it, that they'd come after you hard. I mean, video companies did not screw around, especially some of the smaller ones, because the tape, the cost for them to buy those tapes was very high, especially earlier on when it came to VHS rentals. I was watching a really cool documentary I saw on YouTube about the history of like rental stores and things like that. And it might have been also the last blockbuster documentary Mm -hmm. that's on Netflix. I watched about this also. These tapes aren't cheap. And for some of these smaller locations, it was cost prohibitive to buy more than one or two of these big blockbusters. And that's why Blockbuster Video succeeded, because they could just throw tons of cash down and say, yeah, we have 75 copies of the Star Wars special edition when it came out. So you don't have to worry about not being able to find one. Hmm. Well, hopefully at some point, um, I'll pay my late fee for my VHS. I still got that outstanding somewhere. What what tape was it, Stephen? Uh, I can't talk about that on here. It involved a safe word. Fuckaboli. <laughs> Banana. <laughs> All right, let's go on to our next news point here, our last one of the night, which was a really, really, I got to say, exciting moment in space history that unfortunately didn't get the love that it deserved. Go ahead, SP. Yeah, I guess a lot of people didn't realize the momentous moment that happened this past week when SpaceX launched another four astronauts to the International Space Station. They nailed the landing of the core first stage, by the way, and it turned out it was the first reused crewed launch system since 2011 when Space Shuttle Atlantis took its last flight in July. So the for the first time since that mission, which was STS-135, a launch on Friday, April 22nd, 2021, from the United States soil carried humans into space aboard a reused space flight system. Now, I want to take a second here. I had to write that very specifically because I wanted to say the United States sent somebody up into space on a reused system, which was technically true, but not the truth of the matter. So the thing is, SpaceX is a private corporation and NASA subcontracted them out to do this. So you could say that NASA did it because they paid for it, but ultimately it was SpaceX that performed the act and not NASA and not the government of the United States. So I wrote that very specifically. Okay, moving on. Four astronauts from three different countries took a ride on SpaceX's Crew Dragon capsule named Endeavor. It was named Endeavor during the Demo 2 mission last year. Endeavor was first used in that mission in May of 2020. The launch 
also featured a reused Falcon 9 first stage booster that was used in the SpaceX Crew-1 mission in November of 2020. Now, when the Crew-2 mission finally reached the ISS on Saturday, both SpaceX Crew-1 Dragon capsule named Resilience and the Crew-2 Endeavor were docked, bringing the ISS population to 11. Of those 11, eight had been launched to the ISS using the same Falcon 9 first stage. I want to say that again. They were both launched. Both capsules were launched using the same rocket. Now, the space shuttle and the solid booster rockets were reusable, but the solid rocket booster casings were recovered from the ocean, towed back to the Kennedy Space Center, disassembled, refurbished, and reloaded with solid propellant. That disassembled part really got to me every time. Now, the space shuttle itself required 125 days in the orbital processing facility before each launch, which leads to the estimated costs. Falcon 9 has an estimated cost of $1,500 per kilogram into low Earth orbit, whereas the space shuttle was estimated at $65,400 per kilogram into low Earth orbit. So with Crew-1 and Crew-2 using the same Falcon 9 booster that brought them up at a much, much reduced price. Guys, we are in the start of a revolutionary space era where SpaceX can reuse its stuff at a much lower cost than the space shuttle. Each booster for the Falcon 9 is rated up to 10 launches for crewed launches. The boosters on the space shuttle were rated at 20. So you can say, well, the boosters got twice the use out of them. But the Falcon 9 booster does not have to be disassembled on every use where the space shuttle solid rocket boosters were. Plus, the rocket engines on the space shuttle itself had to be completely uh, completely serviced in that 125-day turnaround. And I know there is some servicing that is going on with the Falcon 9 system, with the Dragon capsule, but it is paling in comparison to what happened with the space shuttle. This was a huge step forward in crude space and manned space, whatever you want to call human spa- uh, space travel of this launch this past week. It, w- it meant more than more people really realized. I agree. Like, and, and let's just recap what you said there, which was that they went up with Demo 2's capsule, basically. That, that was the thing that we all, we did a live stream, we gushed about because it was like the, the big first private space uh, or human space mission, right? And like you said, it used the, uh, the booster. Now, let's look at the dates of these. So you had Demo 2, which, or Demo, yeah, Demo 2, which went up August 2020. May Sorry, 2020. May 2020. Came, came down August 2020. Yes. De- uh, Crew 1 went up November 20th. And it's still there. Still there. And now you had this one, which was April 23rd. Like, how insane is that? That all of this has had happened in such a short period with this, uh, multiple pieces of equipment being used multiple times. And look at where we were a year ago worldwide with one thing going up, basically, from yeah, one, one agency. Yeah. Like what? W- once like once a year sort of thing. 
uh, Twice two, a year? maybe maybe three two times three. a year, but it wasn't a reusable uh, okay. system. But still, it's like all of this in a short time with the same equipment. It's insane. It's crazy. Modern progress is crazy, yeah. guys. And I think that these launches could have happened more rapidly in succession had those capsules not stayed at the International Space Station for so long. I mean, mm -hmm. they're up there for months at a time before they come back down. So is the Soyuz, so is the Progress, which is the cargo carrier that had been going up for the Russians. Uh, the U.S. has cargo uh, going up as well. Dragon, actually, there's a cargo version of Dragon that goes up. So the fact that the crude capsules stay up there for so much longer means that the launches didn't happen as as rapidly as spacex develops more dragon crude capsules they're going to be able to launch people into space more rapidly i don't i'll have to take a look at how many they have planned in production i know it's a, a few more i want to say a handful more that they want to have a, a lane around basically to go up to the international space station uh, or to ferry anybody into low earth orbit like you could launch a starship and then dock with a a dragon capsule in order to put people in the starship and to have more fuel on board the starship on launch so that you could do a trans lunar launch injection basically or something like that and also this is just another spacex story is elon musk came out and said look we're ready to rock. We can land somebody in 2024 if NASA want, really wants to do it. We're ready to go for that. Now, I mean, we'll see. They're still having issues with SN15. We could talk about that at another time. But Elon is pretty confident that he can make it happen. So we're just a few years away from going beyond low Earth orbit. No astronaut has been beyond low Earth orbit since the last Apollo mission, Apollo uh, 16, I believe it was. Um, from a, uh, an actual docking perspective, I, I know we saw the video and whatnot, but um, where are like what docking port are they using, or or whatever to the go term into is. to go into the International Space Station? Yeah, because because it's, it's all there's like the demo two. Sorry, I'm getting the names wrong. Yeah, the demo two and the crew one used the same docking port, and now that's tied up, right? So. Oh, there was a whole big shuffle back and forth. There, there's a main docking port that they receive first capsules for the first time. Oh, doesn't matter what it is. They okay. just come in the same capsule. I, I think it's to reduce unloading uh, when they go in there. But they, yeah, they transfer the capsules to other ports throughout the, or docking ports throughout the space station. Oh, it I didn't know be that. A, a yeah, there could be a balancing issue as well uh for for the center of gravity as it's doing orbital corrections so that the the thruster and rockets can get the whole thing going in the same direction at the same time without using too much fuel so there there are reasons that they move stuff around when they're in orbit but uh the, yeah they did have to move crew 2 so crew 1 could dock where crew 2 was docked or excuse me yeah, they had reverse. to move crew yeah. 1 so so crew 2 could go i'm getting gotcha. kind of mixed up because Crew two has actually got the first capsule and crew one has the second capsule. So it, in my mind, I was getting resilience and endeavor mixed right. up. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's funny to think about. Uh, this is cool. Really excited. Uh, exciting news. I did not stay up to watch this. It was too early from for my liking, um, but I did watch the replays. And by replays, I mean, I pulled it up on YouTube and pressed play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it did the same thing. It, it was a great launch to why I actually had the opportunity to watch watch it watch it live because i was getting up and getting ready for work so i 
put it on while I was getting ready to go. And I actually did not leave the house until the rocket went up. And I got into work. I got in a few minutes late. And they're like, oh, SP. So watch the launch. I said, yeah. They're like, okay, it's fine. I was like, yes. <laughs> well, thank you for talking to us, uh, talking to us about that. Uh, like I said, I, I personally do feel that this did not get the praise that it deserved. Uh, I, I think that part of that is because we did see the space shuttles, the same ones go up and down, up and down sort of thing, right? Like the idea of, of a reusable vessel to carry people is not new. But the fact that this is so close together and multiple things, including the booster, this is crazy. So I hope we're not getting into the saturation point where mm -hmm. we were like when the shuttle became yeah. uh, just routine or Apollo missions became routine. There's been a lot that's been happening. So let's just recap some of the things off the top of my head. The SLS core stage was tested and it's being ferried over to Kennedy Space Center. You have the uh, Starship SN-11 that was tested in, in 10 and 9 before that. So Starship is being tested. Blue Origin just had its test. The Rock, which was the strato launch Airplane is trying to get up for its second test flight ever. And you have all the stuff going on on Mars. You have Ingenuity, you have Percy landing, you have Percy making oxygen. You have just great drone coverage now. For the first time ever, you're getting a picture above where the rover has been uh, making tracks in the ground. And, and those pictures are making it around the internet right now. So there's just a lot going on in space. And I just hope it just doesn't become routine because that's what made it special over the last year. So we are so starved for space stuff. And then all of a sudden we got a few big, but quick successes. And now we're continuing to get those successes. And I think it's becoming a little bit routine. Now, in truth, when SpaceX operates the crew dragon capsules more and more, it'll just become routine. I get that. But this specific launch should have gotten more accolades and coverage than it did because of everything that I just went over. Agreed. But that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, we'll just take a moment to go around the table and plug and promote and do whatever we'd like to do. And I just want to go off or go off. I, I want to go and start off and say uh, I had a chance to drop into um, the live recording of this week's Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast that had SP it had Lauren, it had Michelle, but it also had guest star Chris Farrell. And I just have to say it was a fun time. Uh, all of them had very, very excellent points, a variety of different opinions about the finale. And um, while I did not have the same level of passion that the four of them seemed to, uh, I did enjoy feeling their passion through the podcast. So I wanted to Drop. give a shout out to that. Drop the star off of that. Just guess. <laughs> not a star. Not a star. Oh, you were definitely the star of the show, Chris. I was glad to have you on the show. And thank that. you very much again for being part of that final coverage of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier or the premiere coverage of another show, which due to spoilers, I won't go into right now. You know what? I, I shared a bit of a meme um, that kind of did a bit of a spoiler today on the Gunna Geek uh, Facebook page. And, and I have to say that I am... I think Mar Marvel has nerve to ever ask us to keep something spoiler free ever again because their their PR people have been ridiculous for this series and for WandaVision. They seriously went out and put all sorts of things from the finale like a day later on Facebook. Today they had 
a ton of big spoilers. And and they did this the whole duration of WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier where they just didn't restrain themselves. So uh, I, I think there is a case right now to go and spoil it, but I won't. So. There, there's a difference between a streaming television show and spoiling Endgame where not everyone can go to a theater immediately. I mean, streaming television series, if you can put it off a day or two, which is what they've tended to do, most people who are going to watch it have probably watched it by then. Mm. I just didn't want to spoil it because I remember what my emotions were when I saw it. And I would want another person to be able to experience those emotions as well, which is why I steered away from saying it. I mean, we all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. I just didn't want to say it. Why do you have such a problem pointing out that Red Skull comes back? Sorry, go ahead and plug and promote and do whatever you'd like to do, SP. I was actually wonderfully asked to return to Mercury Theater Podcast. The new episode is out. I had a very small part. I had a voiceover in a very fun commercial. It was great. So the episode is called Room 707 and is on Mercury Theater Podcast. And uh, if you want to laugh, definitely hear that. I I won't give any of it away for anybody that wants to hear me again on a commercial. Chris, is there a commercial that you would like to plug or promote? Maybe something about guacamole? No, I know. (laughs) Don't team me up for the easy ones here. Uh, Just a friendly reminder, there is a lot of live content that you can watch on Geeks.Live. If you scroll down to the bottom of the page, assuming you're watching it live right now, you'll see a calendar of all the upcoming live events. Please come check some of those other shows out and let them know that we sent you. Well, I'm Steven saying we learned too much about Chris tonight. I'm Chris. I'm officially sponsored by Taco Bell now. I'm SP. Guacamole! 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 Oh, I'm sorry. You want some guacamole, Steven? Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.